Hi guys, welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I am Jennifer and this is episode 62. Update. It was a good week. It was a short week. You guys know I work on a military base, so we get all of the federal holidays off. So I was off on Monday and then I decided to take an extra day. So it was like a five-day weekend and a two-day work week, which let's be honest, that's the way every week should be, right? I didn't do much on my time off. I, you know, mostly stuck around home. I did some cleaning. I did some relaxing and I did some shopping. I've been getting ready for the trip that I'll be taking to Las Vegas in December. And I know you're saying December, that's two months away. Well, if the next two months go by as quickly as the first 10 of this year, It's going to be here before I know it. And then I'm going to be panicked because I'm not the greatest flyer, right? I mean, like, it's, I don't mind flying, you know, I'm not afraid of it or anything like that. I just, it's not my preferred mode of transportation. I would much rather drive whenever possible because then, well, I mean, I'm a control freak, so I want to be on my schedule, right? I don't want to be told when I need to be to the airport. And, you know, it feels like a lot of pressure because if if you mess up their schedule, you know, the consequences are kind of big. You You miss your flight, you know, you miss your connection, whatever. Nobody wants to be in a strange city and having missed their flight. So... And then there's now all the other stuff with the airlines. Flights are being canceled constantly. You know, there's, ugh, I'm just, I'm starting to get anxious. So the only way that I can sort of combat that is to do as much as I can beforehand. So like I've even started packing already. I know. I, I, I'm making lists, lots of lists. I have I should make a list of my lists. I have stuff that I need to do and my brain is not super organized. So it helps me to, you know, write it all down and, you know, check stuff off and double check the list. And I don't know where I think I'm going, right? I'm not going to the ends of the earth. I'm going to Las Vegas. If I forget something, it's not as if I can't purchase it in Las Vegas, Uh, I don't know. But, you know, also, I've also been getting anxious about being off of work, which I just when I think about that sounds so dumb. Um, So I'm going to be out of work for total about a week and a half just because um, I'm tacking on like a day before and a day after. the actual time I'm in Las Vegas. And there, I have this idea in my head that like something's going to go wrong while I'm gone and I won't be there to fix it, which is ridiculous because there are things that only I do, but that doesn't mean I'm the only one who can do them. I'm just the only one who's currently doing them. So I'm trying to kind of 
anticipate everything and, you know, leave instructions and notes and contacts and, you know, all this stuff. Because I am not, I, I am not taking my laptop with me. I will not be working on this vacation. In fact, this is going to be the first vacation in, hmm, probably three or four years where I will not, I'm not answering emails. I'm not taking my laptop with me. So the last few years, especially at this current job, whenever I take time off, I still will go on and answer emails at least, right? I mean, I, I might not take a phone call, but I will at least try to follow up on emails that I'm not doing that this time. So, but I had this idea in my head, you know, that things are going to go terribly wrong when I'm gone, which when you think about it is, it's kind of egotistical, right? I mean, <laughs> The place isn't going to collapse because I'm gone for a week. But I'm just trying to, you know, get ready for it, I guess. I'll feel better. That will actually just make me feel better if I do that. TV podcast recommendations. The podcast that I'm listening to this week is called A Psychic Story. I don't know, maybe because it's spooky season. I'm really liking this one. I'm actually, I think I might do... I might maybe do a Halloween episode next week. You know, I I'm, I hate Halloween. You guys already know that. But I do kind of like anything sort of, I don't know, strange and unexplained. So unless something else comes up, you know, either personally or in pop culture, that's, you know, what everybody's talking about. I think I'll do a Halloween episode next week. We'll see. But I'm really liking this podcast. It's kind of right up my alley with the strange and unexplained. I just started it. I'm only four episodes in, but I am enjoying it. And it's not that old. There maybe is, I don't know, maybe 30 episodes out so far. It's hosted by Psychic Nicole Bigley. And she interviews people who she calls those who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. So she interviews other psychics and mediums, which... Up until episode three, I thought those were the same thing. Psychic, I, I guess not. Also, um, healers, light workers, energy workers, that kind of stuff. And she uh, will, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I know she has episodes where she interviews psychics who assist in cold cases. I think you guys know I like this kind of stuff. It's interesting to me, but I'm not completely naive. I've fallen for scammers in the past. Anyone remember Sylvia Brown? What a fraud she turned out to be. I it, it makes me angry when I think about it because she took advantage of a lot of grieving families and she knew she was fraud. And I've been to psychics who were so wrong it was laughable. I went to one one time who told me I was going to have twins. So she was doubly wrong. But I've also been to psychics who were so spot on, it was scary. But I guess you could say I'm kind of a skeptical believer. You know, I, I'm not so arrogant as to think, you know, we are all there is. But I'm not quite sure I buy into all of it. I heard someone say recently that they don't believe in ghosts, but they wouldn't spend the night in a haunted house. I feel like that's kind of how I am with anything sort of supernatural. TV recommendations. 
There are new seasons of shows that I've watched out. Um, season three of You is out on Netflix. I haven't started it yet, but I will. I really loved season one. I don't know if you guys watch this or if you remember when the show first started, season one was on uh, Lifetime. And then it moved to Netflix. And because there are basically no restrictions when it comes to Netflix TV shows, season two, I liked, but it got a little weird, like almost too dark. I'm looking forward to season three just to kind of see how it'll all play out. But I'm keeping my expectations in check with this one. I, I'm not quite sure what to expect. I'll let you know if I like it or not. And finally, the new season of Succession starts Sunday. It seems like we have been waiting forever for this season. I think it's been like two years. I think they had to you know, along with every other show, they had to stop production because of COVID restrictions. So I think it's been, if it hasn't been two years, it's been close to two two years since we last saw the Roys. I cannot wait to watch this show. I am not keeping my expectations in check. This show never disappoints. It is so good. If you're not watching Succession on HBO, why not? It's it's really good. Although I probably am going to have to maybe check out a refresher before I start season three, because I don't remember much of season two, some of it, but not all of it. I also started the new season of The Great British Bake Off. You guys already know how much I love this show. I don't even know why I love it. I'm usually not that big a fan of competition shows because they feel like fake and contrived and manipulative. But for some reason, this one doesn't. Maybe because you can't fake baking. It's either good or it isn't. And there's none of that like made up drama, no mean contestants vying for camera time. You know, they're all just lovely. They're just lovely people doing their best. And I like the hosts. And Paul. I'm not so crazy about the other two hosts. I don't, I, they're fine. I just wish they would sort of cut the comedy bits because they're not funny. I also watched a really good documentary on Netflix on the life of Rita Moreno. I was somewhat familiar with her work. I mean, obviously, West Side Story. And of course, if you're around my age, you will know her from the Electric Company. But I had no idea. It's, what an amazing story, it, an amazing life. I mean, she's incredible. I loved this documentary. I had no idea. And if you don't know who she is, or maybe you're thinking like, eh, I don't care about her, I still recommend it. Her life is amazing. She is amazing. I think she's 87, still working and still, you know, just smart as a whip. Very funny. <laughs> and I did finally watch the rest of season two of Ted Lasso. I can't stop talking about this show. Can't stop, won't stop. It was so good. One episode you're laughing, the next you're crying. Some episodes you're laughing and crying. But there was a line in one of the episodes where Ted says, 
I love meeting people's moms. It's like getting an instruction manual on why they're crazy. <laughs> now you guys know, not a mom, but that is hilarious and true. It's funny because it's true, like Homer Simpson says. All right, guys, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. Recently, something happened. Nothing major. Just an incident where I felt like I needed to stand up for myself, and I didn't know what to do. At first, I told myself to just let it go, that it was no big deal, but it did hurt my feelings. I wanted to say something, to tell them that they had hurt me, but I was afraid that if I said something that it would change things between us. And to be honest, it just wasn't worth it, just because I had my feelings hurt a little. I do this a lot. I tell myself that it's not worth the argument, that I'm being too sensitive, or I make excuses for what they did. I justify their behavior. Oh, they probably didn't mean to upset me. And I push my own feelings aside. Stop being so sensitive. And I move on. And I guess that would all be fine, if it was true. Truth is, I don't move on. My hurt feelings fester. And I start to build walls in the relationship. Meanwhile, the person who hurt me has no idea what they did. And they're just left to wonder why I'm suddenly being weird and distant. That is, until I explode in a mass of pent-up emotions. This has always been an issue for me. I have a problem sticking up for myself. My fear of confrontation and self-esteem issues make speaking up for myself difficult. I have no problem sticking up for someone else, though. I can and have often spoken up in defense of someone I feel was wronged, especially if it's a child. I just can't seem to do the same for myself. It's not like I've never stood up for myself, and sometimes it turns out fine. They're receptive, I feel heard, and things are good. But there have also been times when I end up feeling worse, dismissed, or I end up feeling bad for making them feel bad for making me feel bad. I think... I try to justify it by advocating for a conflict-free life. But standing up for yourself shouldn't create conflict. Just the opposite, in fact. If your boss is adding more to your already overflowing plate, it would serve you both to tell them that you just cannot take on another task at this time. I used to, I used to work at this job years ago where it was kind of like a, a pool of secretaries all transcribing counseling sessions. And is usually the case, when you have a group of people all doing the same job, you often have a bad apple in the bunch, and we definitely did. There was this one transcriber who was just not doing their job or doing like the bare minimum requirements of their job. Like the phone would ring, and they would just sit there and wait to see if anyone else was going to reach for it first. And when the rest of us started to notice this, we made a point of not reaching for the phone either. That negative behavior in response to negative behavior is never the answer. It just makes everything worse and it builds greater resentment. Because they weren't doing their share, 
The rest of us had to do more in order to get the work done. And it was getting really frustrating. So one day, I'm sitting there, I'm typing away. And my boss comes by my desk and he drops three additional session tapes into my already overflowing bin. And he says, I know you already have a lot to do, but if I don't give them to you, they won't get completed in time. Because with session notes, you have only, you have a small window of time between when the session actually happens and when the notes get signed and dated and filed. So it's not like you can just take your sweet time or, you know, get to them when you get to them. There's a lot of pressure to get them done in this window of time, because if you don't and you get audited, that's major fines. So he drops them off at my desk and walks away. And I, by this point, it had been going on for months, three fourths of us working our butts off and the thanks we got was more work. And I just sat at my desk and I was fuming. I knew I needed to say something. I was at the end of my patience and I knew if I didn't speak up, it wasn't going to get any better. But man, the thought of going into my boss's office and telling him what I felt, it physically made me ill. And I had to get up. I went outside. I walked around. I had to like compose myself, try to calm myself down because I knew I couldn't just burst into his office the way that I was feeling. It wouldn't have been productive. So I was finally able to calm myself down enough and sort of screw up my courage. And I went in and I told him, you know, what was going on? And I said, you know, we are frustrated. We are, we don't know what else to do. Of course, I wasn't telling him anything he didn't already know. He saw the, all of us working extra to make up for the one, you know, and in the end, he thanked me and said things would change. And they did for a while. I eventually left that job and Things just when things just went back to the old way. How often do you actually stand up for yourself? Probably less than you should. It can feel really awkward to assert ourselves in certain situations and being caught in tense situations can bring up painful memories and insecurities. This is definitely the case for me. I have a major fear of rejection. If I say something and they don't like it, they might decide I'm more trouble than I'm worth and just walk away. According to an article I found on medium.com, Dr. Kim Cronister says that people with a history of trauma are more likely to be victims of future mistreatment. It's these types of traumas that lead us into mistreatment at work and in relationships. She offered some tips for when you're feeling you need to stand up for yourself, but you just need a little extra courage to do it. First, you need to figure out what sticking up for yourself means to you because it's different for everyone. It doesn't necessarily mean getting up on the lunch table with a sign normal race style, or maybe it does. It can be as simple as just saying no. If you're like me and have a hard time with this, start by saying no to smaller things. This is an easy way to sort of practice protection, protecting yourself your time, and your energy. 
And remember, there are many ways to say no. Sometimes you need to say it directly. Sometimes just your silence without explanation is enough. If you find yourself in a situation where silence just isn't going to cut it, be sure to take a beat before just shooting off at your mouth. Remember, like I had to go outside before I went into my boss's office? You want to be heard. The quickest way to get someone to stop listening to you is to start shouting at them. Your parents are teenagers, you know this. Don't be demanding. Speak deliberately and with intention. It helps to plan out what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Practice the conversation in your head. Write it down if you have to. Sometimes just the act of writing it out will calm you. And sometimes just getting the feelings out on paper is enough. You actually don't even have to talk to someone. I remember I was faced with a situation like this where I, I had to say something and it was tough and it, it, it took a lot of piling on before I finally just spoke up for myself. It was when I uh, first moved out of my parents' house. I was in my first apartment. And for the first couple of months, I had a roommate and I hated having a roommate. I thought because I had grown up with three sisters that I wouldn't mind living with someone, but I quickly found out this was not the case. She wasn't my sister. She was essentially a stranger. I didn't know her habits or her quirks, and she had a lot of them, not the least of which was making long-distance phone calls to her mom and then not paying her share of the phone bill or paying it late. I was already having a hard time with her. She wasn't the greatest at cleaning up after herself. She had a habit of leaving her dirty dishes in her bedroom and in the sink just for days till she felt like getting around to them. So by the time the phone bills started coming in, I was kind of at the end of my rope with her. Now, remember, this was back in the early 90s, so long-distance phone calls were still pretty expensive. But, and I needed to say something to her, and I was so angry because I had already tried talking to her about her dishes. She also used to leave, like, her dirty clothes around. Like, you know, she would just start taking off her clothes and leave them where she took them off. So sometimes you'd go in the living room and, you know, her bra or her dirty socks would be on the couch that we shared. And I would tell her, like, yeah, we shared space. Please don't do this. And she just wasn't listening to me. But by the time we got the second phone bill, and now charges are doubled, I've paid my share, she hasn't paid hers, and I've had it. But she was this teeny, tiny little mouse of a person. She was like 5'1", maybe 90 pounds. You guys know I am neither of those things. So I couldn't come at her, you know, like the Hulk. It wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I actually had to like sit down, write out a conversation, practice what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. And just practicing it took a lot of the sting out of it, at least for me. So by the time I actually sat down and spoke with her, I was pretty calm. And I just showed her the phone bill and I, you know, told her what her share was and that it was late and 
And I worried that the phone was going to get shut off. And if the phone gets shut off, how was she going to talk to her mom? I also, again, told her about picking up after herself. And I said that, you know, if I felt like I couldn't live there, you know, because we didn't have a phone or the place was always a mess, I was going to move back home. And she knew she couldn't afford to live there on her own. So she agreed to, you know, do better. And things were good until the next phone bill came that she didn't pay and I had to pay in order to not get it shut off. And then I was away for about a week and I came home to a sink full, not only full of dirty dishes, but she it looked like she had tried to attempt to wash them. So she had filled up the sink with water, which was now disgusting, scummy, and the apartment was infested with uh, fruit flies. And that was it. <laughs> I did go full hawk on her this time. And we got in a big argument and I ended up kicking her out. And then I lived on my own for the first time in my life. And I loved it. Another way to stand up for yourself, aside from saying no, is to say no, but without excuses. We've all received an invitation to something we didn't really want to attend, but instead of just sending an RSVP, declining the invite, we spew out a ton of excuses. Nothing will undermine your assertiveness like an excuse. You're not fooling anyone. Everyone knows it's an excuse, and it just ends up making them feel uncomfortable, and it creates distance in the relationship. If you don't want to do something, you can simply say, no, thank you. It reminds me of that Friends episode when Ross is asking for help moving and Phoebe says, oh, I would, but I don't want to. And no one questioned it because it was just too simple to deny. Once you start adding in excuses, it leaves room for a rebuttal. I used to have to do this with my ex-boyfriend's mom. She was constantly wanting us to do something, you know, come to dinner, spend every holiday with them, attend their church service. And sometimes we said yes, but there were some times when we just didn't want to. And I learned quickly that making excuses with her gave her an opening. So if I said, I'm sorry, no, we can't attend midnight mass because we both have to be up early the next morning, she would suggest we take a nap earlier in the day. No matter what excuse I gave, she would offer a helpful solution until I learned the power of just saying, no, thank you, and nothing else. I left no room for rebuttal. No one likes to feel like a pushover, and it should come as no surprise that being unable to stand up for yourself is often tied to your self-esteem. Maybe you fear rejection or angry responses if you don't give in to other people's wants and needs. For me, the idea of standing up for myself fills me with dread. I know I need to say something, but the words won't come. Or like I said earlier, they do come, but further down the line at the wrong moment and in a burst of anger and frustration. And I also think, for me at least, but there is an element to this that has something to do with me being the youngest child in a house that was often filled with chaos. My dad was a yeller, which meant that we often kind of had to walk on eggshells around him. 
to this day, whenever I start to feel the energy in a room shifting to something that might turn angry, I bolt. I am out of there. But being the youngest child also meant I took on the role of tension easer, people pleaser. And I'm still very much that person as an adult. Those of us with low self-esteem often think that we are not as deserving of respect as the other people in our lives. We put their needs first, but we are worthy. We are deserving. And we get to decide where to set our boundaries. No one, I don't care who they are, has the right to dismiss your feelings. No one is allowed to invalidate you. Okay, so great. We understand that standing up for ourselves is a good thing if it's done correctly. You're looking to strengthen your relationships, not damage them. Being assertive can be a good thing, but there is a big difference between being assertive and being aggressive. We all know someone like this, someone who seemingly can always get the people in their lives to do whatever they ask because they're insistent that their point of view, their needs, their desires are more valuable than anyone else's. Basically, they're bullies, and their aggressiveness ends up creating distance in their relationships. You also have to be careful to not like your assertiveness, to not let your assertiveness turn into self-righteous defensiveness. The key to standing up for yourself successfully is to make your feelings known without invalidating their feelings. Remember, it's not about whose feelings are most important. Both are valid and both deserve to be heard and respected. And just because you may feel strongly about something, that doesn't mean it's the only right solution. If you become biased in your viewpoint, you lose the ability to detach from it and respect opposing positions. There seems to be a lot of that going on in the world right now, doesn't there? It's important to differentiate feelings from facts. All feelings and opinions are valid, but they're not facts. The quickest way to end a discussion with anyone, a discussion that might lead to a mutually beneficial solution, is to take the stance that only your opinion matters. Once again, it comes back to self-esteem, which is weird because you would think that that loudmouth blowhard we all know doesn't have any issues with self-esteem. Usually it's just the opposite. If you encounter someone who is always stubbornly defending their viewpoint and only their viewpoint, it's usually because they're unable to acknowledge their own weaknesses. And not too long ago, that was me. I used to have such a strong reaction to any criticism. I was very threatened by it. I would immediately go on the defense. I would want to fight back, to deny, to cry. I used to have a therapist who would say that crying was often a manipulation. And I remember when she said that to me, I was so offended. I couldn't believe she would say that to me. I would think, no, what? I, no, crying is, a, is an honest expression of your emotion. And I thought about it and I thought, mm, actually... I think I probably have cried on more than one occasion in order to get my own way. It's a very effective way to silence someone. Be careful with your tears. But 
The truth is, I just didn't have enough confidence in myself to be able to honestly hear criticism and acknowledge that I needed to reassess my position or make a change. Start by making a commitment to speak your truth. If someone has hurt them, someone has hurt you, tell them. You don't have to be angry or manipulative about it, but you should say something. How else would anyone know your boundaries and limitations if you don't tell them? And I know this is scary. So many times I've kept my mouth shut and just suffered in silence because I was afraid if I said something, I would damage the relationship. But we all know the truth here. If the relationship is strong, the truth will never hurt it. It will only strengthen it. And if it doesn't, the relationship wasn't on a solid foundation to begin with. A relationship that is built on hidden hurts and false security is never going to last anyway. Respect yourself and the relationship enough to just be honest. The most important thing to take away from this is don't leave it unsaid. That doesn't always mean you actually have to speak your feelings. Sometimes it's enough to let your actions speak for you. Start by taking an inventory of all the ways in your life in which you feel you might be giving too much of yourself, anywhere you feel undervalued or that you're being taken advantage of. If you're unsure, start by looking at things that make you feel angry or resentful. Where you can, you should disengage. Whenever possible, don't participate in things that make you feel like you're compromising your own happiness. Remind yourself that not everything requires your participation, especially if you're going to go begrudgingly. Believe me, no one wants that kind of energy at their event anyway. If you're going to go there and just sit and pout the whole time because you really don't want to be there, do everybody a favor and just don't go. Remember, Standing up for yourself is simply believing in yourself and having the confidence that your feelings are valid and just as important as anyone else's. And if you're still not quite there, that's okay. I'm still working on it too. Start small. Speak up when it really matters. Practice saying no to small things. I promise it gets easier and you'll feel a little stronger and a little braver every time you do. And... Just so you know, I did, in the end, have that difficult conversation with the person who hurt my feelings. It went something like this. You mad? Yeah. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) And that was it. All right, guys. I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 62. Don't forget, Facebook group, Facebook page, Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, you know what to do. If you'd like to email me, you can at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye.